Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Uh, Today, I'm going to ask if you'll uh, turn with me in your Bible to the book of Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, and I want to look at, as we uh, begin today, the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the book of Colossians, we see details that they who were standing around the cross when Jesus uh, sacrificed his life for us on the cross, they weren't able to recognize all that we're able to see by looking in these scriptures and finding out what really took place, what victory was really obtained in his uh, willingness to obey the Father and to come and to give his life for us. We know that Adam was originally in the garden with the plan of God, the, the dominion that God had intended for mankind to operate, but Adam disobeyed the instruction of God, and with his disobedience, he opened the door for spiritual death and for sin to enter in to the entire world, and the entire human race was affected by the decision of one man. But we see that Jesus came born of a virgin. He came as a man, legally entered into the body of a man, 100% the son of God, and yet 100% legally the son of man. And that's why the genealogies, the begats, are in the Bible. Have you ever tried to read the Bible through and you think, why do they have these begats in the Bible? Because it's legal proof of Jesus' genealogy as his legal entry into the earth. And in John chapter 10, he says, the thief has entered in by an illegal way, but the shepherd has entered in legally through the door. And the door was being born onto this planet. And so Jesus was born of a virgin. He was tempted in every way, yet without sin. With every temptation, with every pressure that is available to be put upon mankind, he was tempted, yet he resisted. He resisted the temptation of the lust of the flesh. He resisted the temptation of the pride of life. He resisted everything that was placed upon him. He overcame it. And when he gave himself on the cross, he gave himself as an innocent man. His blood was as spotless As an innocent lamb, his blood was different than the blood of every other human being on the earth because he, God was his father and there was no sin contaminant on his blood as it was in the other human beings on the planet. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he died a sacrificial death. He willingly gave his life for us. 
There is no other way we could have fixed the sin problem. There's no other way we could have redeemed ourselves because no one qualified, no no other person on the earth qualified to die. No other person qualified as as a redeemer, one who could pay the price necessary. It says the wages of sin is death. But it was the death of the innocent that made possible our, our complete freedom because his death became a payment for anyone who will believe on him. It says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When we receive of him, it says that if you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. We're believing that, what are we believing when we say we believe that God raised Jesus from the dead? We, we believe that God brought him out of the spiritual death that we deserved. We brought him out of that uh, and, and into, and when we are, Jesus is raised from the dead, we are raised. It says that we are crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20. Amen. Romans chapter 6 says we're buried with him in baptism. Romans chapter 6 says that we are raised up into the newness of life. Ephesians chapter 2 says that we are seated together with Christ in heavenly places. He was crucified for us. He was buried for us. He was resurrected for us. And he was seated at the right hand of the Father so that we also could be seated together with him. Hallelujah. And so when we talk about the victory of Jesus, we also need to recognize our part. Whenever the scripture talks about it, it never talks about it separate from you. You're included in the conversation. We are included in the conversation because what he did, he didn't do it for himself. Jesus didn't need victory over Satan. He was already the second person of the Godhead. He was already God the Word. He was already God the Son. He was in the beginning with God. He, he was already God. He didn't need victory over Satan, but I did. And you did. And so when he came, he came to obtain the victory we needed so that we could operate it, so that we could stand in it, so that we could enjoy and uh, experience the liberty, the victory, the freedom that God designed for us in the beginning. God never designed us to live under the curse. You know, one day we will experience our life with God with no curse in it. Can you imagine how different that's going to be? There's a lot of things that we just, we deal with and we, we just get up and go through our day and we don't realize the, the heaviness, the curse on this earth. We are blessed. Amen. We as children of God, we can walk in the blessing which protects us from that curse. But one day we'll get to live a life without the curse to having to deal with it. Amen? Praise God. When Colossians discusses this victory that Jesus Christ obtained for us, it gives us some details that we need to establish our heart on. It says, let's begin in verse 10. It says, you are complete in him, which is 
the head of all principality and power. I told you he didn't talk about it and leave you out of the conversation. He, he, he brings right away, we're finding out you are complete in him. Amen? You're complete in him. And then it describes where he is. He is the head, which is the head. So that's talking about a location of authority. He is in authority over every principality and power. He has the dominion over, and it says you're complete in him. So where are you? Are you under the circumstance or with him seated together, head of principality? He's the head, but I'm in him. Yes. So we are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And the Bible speaks that for the New Testament believer, the circumcision is of the heart. It says that we are buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who has raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, talking about before you accepted Jesus, you has he quickened together with him. When you accepted Jesus as Lord, he made you alive. He made you spiritually alive. He quickened you together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Go ahead and lift your hands and say, thank you, Jesus. He has forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Speaking of what he accomplished on the cross, it was a triumph. He spoiled principalities and powers. I want to read this from the Kenneth E. Wiest New Testament translation. It says, having stripped off and away from himself the principalities and authorities. He boldly made an example of them, leading them in a triumphal procession in it. We know from history that when a conquering king would go in and prevail against a country that they were taking over, that they would take the leaders of that previous government and they would drag them through the streets to show that I now have authority and these people who are in chains, who I am leading through the street under my dominion, they are now uh, uh, subjugated. They have been stripped of their authority. They no longer have power. I am the one who is in power. And that's the, the verbiage that's used here. That's the expression that's used to describe what happened when Jesus defeated the death, hell, and the grave. When he defeated the powers of the enemy, he triumphed over them in his victory on the cross. The Weymouth translation says, and the hostile princes and rulers he shook off from himself and boldly displayed them as his conquests 
when by the cross he triumphed over them. Hallelujah. So we're talking about our victory when we're talking about his victory. And so we've got to see ourselves in Christ and we've got to see ourselves in the victory that he obtained when he defeated Satan and sin and death. Hallelujah. This victory is ours. It is just as much a part of our redemption as our forgiveness from sin. It's just as much a part of our redemption as the healing of our body or the ability for the blessing to operate in our life. This redemption victory is ours, but in the same way that we have to believe that Jesus paid the price for our sin for us to be able to walk in that newness of life, We've got to believe that Jesus defeated the enemy to give us his victory. Amen? So this victory is what we're looking at. I want to go to Hebrews, and let's look at chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, and we're talking about the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. I want to begin in verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. We talked about that. He was born of a virgin, legal entry into the earth. He legally became a man, still 100% the son of God. And yet at the same time, legally a man in the same way that you are still human, but you're a child of God. You're alive unto God, even though you're still in a human body. It doesn't disqualify you from being born of God. Amen? So Jesus took part of the same, flesh and blood, so that through death, now that's an indicator. That gives us a reason why. One of the purposes was that he, he had to have a body to legally die. So that through death, He might destroy. This word destroy is an interesting word. Circle it or underline it in your Bible because it means to render inoperative. Through death, he rendered inoperative. inoperative. Him that had, past tense, the power of death, that is the devil, so Jesus, in his death, which he died for us, remember, it was, it was our death. He died because he didn't deserve to die. He never sinned. He was tempted in all ways, never sinned. The, the reason for death is because the wages of sin is death. But he never sinned. He was innocent. So his death became a sacrifice that we can believe in and receive the benefit from. And it says, through death, when he died, he, he took the, the sting out of death. He rendered it inoperative, the one who had the power of death. The one who had, past tense, the power of death, that is the devil. He doesn't have it anymore. Remember Jesus in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18, he said, I am he that lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of hell and death. So Satan no longer has the keys. Jesus, through him dying, he obtained the victory over Satan, and now he has the keys. And that's why when we believe in him, we are recipients of eternal life. 
Eternal life is now present in you that have accepted Jesus as Lord, have believed on him as Lord. You are now a recipient of eternal life. You're not going to get eternal life when you go to heaven. You have eternal life now. And if you'll put your faith in that, then when you exit your body, you won't be afraid of dying because you know to be absent from my body is to be present with the Lord. I'm not afraid of dying. And so the enemy can't manipulate me through fear. He can't manipulate me through fear. Why? Because I know that I am now alive unto God. And if I leave my body, I have nothing to fear because to leave my body is to be present with the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So Jesus, through his death, destroyed. See that victory? He destroyed the one who had the power of death. And verse 15 takes it a step further. He delivered them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. He delivered them, us. He delivered us from the fear of death. Hallelujah. Why? Because we are now recipients of eternal life. So this is the victory that we have in him. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1. Now, I wanted to look at the victory because... It is the basis for our authority. Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll look in verse, I think I want to start in 20. Verse 19 is talking about the greatness of his power that works in us through faith, that works in us who believe. Verse 20 identifies this power as the same power that he worked, that God used when he raised Jesus from the dead. So this is what we are recipients of because remember I said when he raised Jesus from the dead and you believe on Jesus, you are raised out of spiritual death. You're no longer dead on the inside to the things of God. You're alive unto God. You're born of God. You, are, you have received the life of God in you. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, old things are passed away, all things are created new, and all things are of God. When our faith is placed on Jesus and him crucified, we are made new in our heart. And from that new life in our heart, we can live the life God intended for us to live. Even though there's a curse all around us, the life of God is on the inside of us. And we can begin to experience the victory. We can begin to experience his strength. We can hear his voice because he said, I am the good shepherd and another voice, my sheep won't follow another voice. They'll hear my voice. Why? Because our our hearts, have been made alive and we can hear him. It says that he dwells in us. If we've been the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells on the inside of us so we can be led by him and we can be guided and we can receive peace and we can have joy and we can experience the life God wants for us if we'll learn how to live from the inside out. Amen. So it says this life, this life 
life-giving power, this power that raised Jesus from the dead and raises us from a place of spiritual death, brings us into our position as children of God, this power which he wrought in Christ, verse 20, when he raised him from the dead and set him. So the power lifted Jesus out of that death and positioned him at the right hand of the Father. And now it begins to describe the place we sit with Christ. Christ is the head and we are the body. And I can look across the room and everybody's head and body are in the same seat. Your head's not two rows back. It's in the same seat with your body. And that's, the, and that's the picture Jesus wants us to have. That's the picture God the Father wants us to have is that Jesus, the head, he is the preeminent. Your head is the preeminent of your stature, the preeminent position in your stature. But your body, your feet are important to you. Have you ever stubbed your toe? You realize how important your feet are, right? So whether you're a big toe, whether you're a pinky finger, whether you're, you know, your teeth, whatever, whatever part you are in the body, you're important to the head. Jesus, the head, has been positioned at the right hand of the Father, and he wants us to operate from our position, our place in him. And so it says that we, being seated there together with Christ, we are far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. Now, see, this is one of those situations that you can't check your head or your feelings or your situation to determine this place. You have to let the Word of God identify something to you that is spiritually understood, and if you'll understand it and take it to heart spiritually, you'll walk in it. You'll see it working for you in your situations, in your, in your daily life. You are seated together with Christ far above all. And then he lists the principalities, the powers, the might, the dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Again, he's talking about us. He has not left us out of the conversation. We are there included in the conversation. Here we are, the church. So just in case you think, well, that's just talking about Jesus, he put it right here again in verse 22 that he's put all things under us because the body connected to the head and all of these other things that are under the head are under the body. In other words, there's a lot more that you have dominion over than maybe you've been exercising. But, but light has come. 
And arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen up on you. When that revelation comes, it will change your posture. It will change your position. You won't feel like you're under the circumstance. You won't feel like you're in the mully grubs or dragging the bottom of the floor. You won't be, you won't be willing to succumb to blue Monday or hump Wednesday or freaky Friday because you'll know, hey, wait a minute. I am seated above all. He has put all things under the feet of those who are in the body of Christ. He has put all things under the dominion of those who are in the body of Christ. Hallelujah. And that is our place legally. It's not our place someday in the sweet by and by. It's our place now. And faith which comes from that scripture right there. If you'll take that scripture and put it in your mouth and in your heart, faith will come and you'll see yourself above and not beneath. You'll see yourself in Christ. You'll see yourself as as the body of Christ operating with the authority of your head, Jesus. Let's look at Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two. Beginning in verse nine. Oh my, we'll start in verse seven. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That's what we've looked at. He threw his obedience on the cross. He obtained this victory. He became obedient unto death. And the verse next says, wherefore, or because of this, because of his obedience on the cross, because of his obedience to the Father to go to the cross, to be the sacrifice, to be the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, to to completely please the Father in walking out the will of God, to be tempted in every way, to overcome that temptation and refuse to sin, but to go to the cross as a spotless lamb whose blood qualified to purchase our sin because of that obedience obedience to the cross, God also has highly exalted him. Now, I want you to see the placement here because we see this exaltation coming after the obedience and the fulfillment of his death on the cross. Jesus was already the Son of God. He was already the Word made flesh. He was already the second person of the Godhead. This is a position that He has been granted because of His obedience to come and to fulfill redemption qualifications for mankind, he has now been placed in a a position. It says he has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this is a position of 
dominion, a position of authority, a position of rulership that he holds as the resurrected Savior, the one who legally entered into the earth and fulfilled the requirements to reinstate what God wanted man to have. Remember, all, all who were born after Adam were in a bloodline that had sin in the blood. Jesus came legally into the earth with sinless, spotless blood and walked on the planet legally refusing to sin, legally being tempted in all ways, tempted of the enemy and overcoming that temptation. And so his blood was different. Why? Because there was no sin in his blood. And so when his, his blood was shed, do you know the Bible says that there is one mediator, one, it, the man, Christ, the man, that's scripture, the man, Christ Jesus, there in 1 Timothy, one mediator, the man, Christ Jesus. So uh, I, here he is still the son of God, completely the son of God. I, and you're a son of God. You're a daughter of God, right? How? Because the redeeming son came and purchased us back. He came and put us back in God's plan for man. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And now we're in the plan. And now we're redeemed. We're not victims anymore. We're victorious. Why? Because he gained victory and then gave that victory to us. So we're not victims to sin anymore. We've been redeemed. And in that redemption came a, a freedom. It says that he bore our sins in his body so that we could be dead to sin. So that sin wouldn't control us. Sin wouldn't dominate us anymore. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So he has been exalted and given a name which is above every name. That's important for us to recognize that God delegated that authority and that dominion with a title, with a name, so that the, at the name of Jesus, by, by presenting that name or declaring that name, those who are authorized to declare the name will also present his authority in that situation. In the same way that uh, an officer is uh, representing whatever county, if it's the sheriff's department, they are authorized in that county. Or if it's a police department, they're authorized in that city. If it's a soldier, they are authorized uh, in, in, as, as a representation of the United States of America. Why? Because there is authority that is delegated. That delegated authority is delegated by naming them in that name or authorizing them in the, in the name of the city of Little Rock, in the name of the county of Pulaski, in the name of you are representing. Hallelujah. So this name Jesus gives to us. Let's look at Matthew 28 because remember, when we talk about his victory and we talk about his authority, he never leaves us out of the conversation. 
Matthew 28 and verse 18, Jesus says something. Now, we've studied previously from Luke chapter 10 and verse 19 how he delegated authority to his disciples and he said, go in my name and into the cities that he was about to go into. And they came back and they said, at your name, even the demons obey us. I mean, we've got people healed in your name. We've got, we've got people set free in your name. And that was before the cross. Why? Because he was operating in the authority that God had given man. Adam and all of Adam's descendants couldn't because of the sin condition in their life, but Jesus could. And so when he dealt with the wind and the waves, he did it as a man alive unto God. He was alive and anointed by God, and he was qualified to represent God's will in that situation, just like Adam before the fall was. Adam before the fall could have kicked Satan out of the garden. Adam before the fall could have taken authority over anything on the earth that was out of order, weather, animals, whatever was out of order. He had dominion to deal with whatever got out of order. But when Adam sinned, he brought himself under the subjection. He, the delegated authority that had been transferred to him now came under Satan's control, and Satan tempted Jesus with that authority, and he said, all these kingdoms and the dominion of these kingdoms are mine to give you if you'll bow down and worship me. It wouldn't have been a temptation if it wasn't legally in his possession to transfer. If that temptation was because Adam had delegated that to Satan. God didn't give it to him. God's not out handing out authority over people to the enemy. Adam did that. But Jesus is referred to as the last Adam, not the second, the last. We don't need a third or a fourth. He's the last Adam because he came in and regained the authority and even a greater authority because this authority that we saw in Philippians was not just on the earth like Adam's authority on the earth. It was the authority on the earth, above the earth, under the earth. It was an all-encompassing authority that Jesus now holds. And in Matthew 28, Jesus is saying something as a declaration because the disciples hadn't, didn't know. They didn't know what we can see from the scriptures. They didn't know what we have light of through the New Testament and understanding what the achievement was made by his shed blood, what victory was wrought by his death on the cross and his obedience to God. But we can look at it, but Jesus was letting them know something they needed to know. Here in Matthew 28, 18, he spoke unto them saying, all power is given unto me. Now, when is this? This is after the cross. This is moments before he ascends to take his place that has been granted him at the right hand of the father. He, he is letting them know all authority, where? In heaven and in earth, all authority all power, this word power is the word authority. It also is defined as right to control or govern the area of jurisdiction. Jesus is saying, I have jurisdiction now. I have a jurisdiction not only here on the earth that I was qualified to operate before, but there's been given me a name that is above every name 
over principalities, over powers, over all the rulers here on the earth, over all in heaven and in earth. There's an authority, a jurisdiction that I have been delegated and now I'm delegating to you in my name to represent my will, to represent my desire, to represent my authority. So it's not authority that we can go out and say, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to win the lotto. It won't work for that. It won't work for that. No, no, no. No, you can't use it for your will (laughs) unless your will is submitted to his. Right? So it's got this, this authority isn't something that we can go and use for fleshly lusts or for our own desires. No, it's an authority that is delegated so that we can represent Jesus when we walk into a situation that's out of order. When we walk into a situation where the will of God needs to be brought into manifestation. Hallelujah. We are authorized and have this delegated authority. He said, all authority, all right to control or govern, all dominion, the area of jurisdiction in heaven and in earth is given unto me. You go, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things, whatever I have commanded you, And behold, or look closely, I am with you. I am with you. How is he with us? His name. He's given us his name. And when we have his name, we have his authority with us. We have, he will back up what we ask in his name. And that's exactly what he told his disciples before the cross to prepare for. John chapter 14. John chapter 14, he said to them in verse 12, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my Father." These greater works, the, the works of Jesus, and we, we know from the Gospels, the works of Jesus included healing the lame, bringing sight to the blind. He, there were, he, rose, he had people that he raised from the dead, right? That he healed the sick, that he cast out devils, he set people free, he healed the brokenhearted. Amen. He said, the works that I do, you will do. Well, how are we going to do them? How are we going to do those works? He said, verse 13, whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do. Why? If I've given you the name, I'm with you. Through my name, I'm with you. When you use my name, I will back up and the, what is authorized through my name. Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is an instruction before the cross, but he's letting them know this 
is a major change from the way you've done things in the past. When you ask in my name, the works that I do, I'll, you'll, you will do them. Why? Because what you ask in my name, I will do it. And then he talks about our lives in reference to using his name in John chapter 15. John chapter 15 and verse 16. He says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. So he's talking about our lives being fruitful. That our lives bringing forth the fruit of God's plan, of God's will, having a stable life, having stable finances, having a, a, a stable, sound, complete family, having a good life. He said, bringing forth fruit and your fruit should remain that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Not only will we ask in Jesus' name concerning doing the works of Jesus, seeing the will of Jesus done in the lives of the people that we may pray for or minister to, and Jesus will do those works. But he says, when you're praying to the Father about your needs, when you're going to the Father about the stability of your life, if you'll ask in my name, you'll bring forth fruit and you'll have fruit that remains and God will be glorified because you are representing me. And he is responding to that. He also brings that to pass in John 16, but he gives a little bit more emphasis to the importance of it. In John 16 and verse 23, he said, in that day, you will ask me nothing. Now you've got to remember, this is one conversation. 14, 15, and 16 is one conversation Jesus is having with his disciples before he goes to the cross. And he is telling them, listen, this is, these are the things that are going to be important for you to know after I have gone, because I'm going to go to take my place at the Father's right hand, but you're going to be here, and you need to know the name of Jesus is going, my name, you haven't asked in my name before, but this is vital for you, yeah. amen? If it was vital for them, it's vital for us. We are here in his name. It says, in that day you will ask me nothing. Truly, truly, I say unto you, whatsoever you will ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Before now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. God wants us to have a full life, a joy-filled, supplied life. He wants us to have his help in situations. He wants us to have access to his wisdom. He wants us to have access to his insight into the decisions that we need to make. He wants us to have access to his strength. When we don't know how to get through something, he's available and ever-present help in time of trouble. But he said, ask the Father in my name so that you can have this joy-filled life, so that you can have the fullness of all that God has planned for you. Amen. So the the use of Jesus' name is more than a tagline. And you've heard me say it before, but I'm going to say it again because it bears repeating. Too many times people use the name of Jesus like Breaker Breaker One Night. 
We, we would say Breaker Breaker 1-9. My dad used to let me play on the CB radio when we'd be going to take a long trip up to East Tennessee to see my family, and he would, he would let me play on the CB radio. Maybe y'all never had any fun, like it was fun getting on the CB radio, and then the truckers would come by and honk their horn at you. And, and so but it, it, Breaker Breaker 1-9 was meaning I'm coming on the channel, right? I'm coming on the channel. I'm breaking into channel 19. For those of y'all who didn't know that, you have been enlightened, okay? Here at Faith Builders on a Sunday morning, now you know what Breaker Breaker 1-9 meant or means. Well, a lot of people use the name of Jesus just to open up their prayer. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. Not releasing faith in that name not recognizing that when I call on the name of Jesus, when I speak his name, God considers that I am coming as his representative, that I am bringing my power of attorney papers. I've got legal authority in the name of Jesus to make this petition I'm about to make before the throne of God. You see the difference? But if you just think it's the way you open an end to prayer, like, uh, dear John, and then, you know, sincerely... Sally, right? That way you open a letter and close the letter. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name, and then when you're done, it's over and out, right? In Jesus' name, amen. That is using the name of Jesus without recognizing the power of what you're saying. And there aren't the same results without faith in the name. It's the faith in the name that causes the results. And we'll close here in Acts chapter 4. It's the faith in the name that brings us to that place where, just like it's faith in the blood, that gives me access to what the blood does for me. It's faith in his sacrifice on the cross that gives me access to what benefits are provided through his sacrifice on the cross. Well, it's faith in the name that, that connects to all the provision and all the authority and all the representation in the name of Jesus. Uh, Acts chapter, I want to mention in chapter 3 what precedes and leads us up to this. In Acts chapter 3, we see that Peter and John were on their way to the temple to pray. It was at the hour of prayer, and as they passed by, they passed by the gate beautiful, which was along the way. I'm sure they'd passed by there before, but this was after the cross and after Jesus had delegated the authority. And this man who sat at this gate begging all his life, it seems like, it says that he had never walked. He had been uh, uh, lame from his mother's womb, but he he catches Peter and John as they're walking past him and he begs for money from them. He asks alms of them and Peter and John stopped and they said, silver and gold have we none. I don't know, maybe Peter left his wallet with his wife. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I do have something. And I have something that's of more value than the silver and gold. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have... I give you, I have something and I have it delegated so that I can give it. 
I have it. And then what does he say? In the name, verse six, in the name of chapter three of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So he's giving him something. He's giving him the power and the authority in the name of Jesus to rise up and walk, but he'd never walked. He'd been lame from his mother's womb, but Peter had something delegated to him. Remember what Jesus said, whatsoever you shall ask in my name, I will do it. I am with you to the ends of the earth. I will do it if you ask it in my name. He said, in the name of Jesus, rise and rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received something. They received strength. How did that strength come into his ankle bones? By the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus, the authorization, the representation, the authority and the dominion caused what was necessary to come into that man's bones so that he could rise up and walk. And it says him leaping up, he walked and entered in with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Well, I would say so if I'd been lame from my mother's womb and had to watch everybody walk past me all the time and suddenly I received strength in my bones and I was now mobile and up on my feet, I don't think I'd be sitting down anytime soon. And people say, here, have a seat. I think I'll stand. (laughs) And while I stand, I might just jump a little bit. You know, while I might just dance a little bit. Why? Because I've been sitting a long time and I like, I might just sleep up here. (laughs) right? Just prop me up in the corner. I don't even want to lay down to sleep. He was walking and leaping and praising God. So Peter gave him something Peter had to give. It was delegated to him, the authority, the dominion to help bring God's will into that man's body to help bring that man into the place of wholeness that God desired for him to be. Hallelujah. So in Acts chapter 4, they were the, the religious leaders of the temple were upset because it did raise quite a stir. I mean, this man had sat by that gate all those years. And now people who have known him from a baby and have watched him grow up lame all of his life, now they're seeing him running all across the temple and the streets. And they're like, oh my goodness, how did this happen? I need to forget what I was here to do. Let me go ask somebody, how did that happen? How did he get healed? How did he become whole? How is he walking? And so there was a big stir. There was a lot of of people and they were coming and they were asking. And uh, so Peter, when all this crowd gathers around him, I'm still in in three, chapter three, verse 16. Peter says, wait, 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 wait. It wasn't me. It wasn't us. It wasn't our ability. He says in verse 16, it was he began to teach about Jesus and he said, his name through faith in his name. Faith in his name has made this man something he wasn't before. Faith in the name of Jesus made this man strong. It made his bones 
strong. It made his muscles strong. I mean, he's never walked and now he's leaping and, and, and praising God and jumping up and down. He, he's strong. How? Faith in the name. That's why we can't be casual and say it from here only. Oh, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus and, and never stop to release my faith. Father, I come in the name of Jesus. Now, I'm not just changing my inflection. I am stopping and I am recognizing I'm about to say something. Have y'all ever been watching Andrew Womack? And he says, I'm about to say something very important. <laughs> right? When I stop, and just for that hesitation, in the name of Jesus, I'm not doing it to change my inflection for others who may hear me. I'm stopping to make sure that I recognize what I'm about to say is the most important authoritative name that exists in the universe. God, this is the name God has given, that God has authorized as the highest authority in the land. And so when I'm about to speak this name, I'm saying something. You know, we're, we're here at Faith Bills, we're never just saying, I'm just saying, no, 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 not, not us, right? And especially if we're saying the name of Jesus, we're not just saying it. We are releasing the authority of him into that situation. Faith is the key that makes the difference. And so when I take the time, and that's why, listen, we encourage you to get the CDs. They're free. Get the CDs so that you can have it in your library and you don't have to wait till we preach it once a year or how often to, so that you can build your faith in the name. You can go online and you can get it off our YouTube channel. You can listen to it on the podcast, but make it a point that you recognize I need to have a holy understanding and recognition that when the name of Jesus comes across my lips, angels in the room are standing in rapt attention. The authority is being released into that situation. Things are changing. Why? Because faith in the name will change that situation. He said, through faith in his name has made this man strong. Hallelujah. And whom you see and know, yes, the faith which is by him has given him, this man, perfect soundness. Faith in the name gave him perfect soundness. Well, listen, we've already read where he said, ask the Father in my name. Ask the Father in my name so your joy can be full. Our families can have perfect soundness if we'll pray with faith in the name if we'll ask with faith in the name, that when we make our petition to God, it is a petition that is made with faith in the name. So when the leaders called them all together, took them into, uh, uh, they, they took them into their authority, they took Peter and John and they began to question them. In chapter four, verse seven, when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name 
have you done this? By what power or by what name have you made this man walk again? In verse 10, he said, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God has raised uh, from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. Strength, perfect soundness, wholeness in the name. By faith in the name. By faith in the name. He stands before you whole. And then in verse 12, he says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby you must be saved. The name has been given. The name and the authority in that name is given to those who are born of God for us to see God's will done in our families, in our communities, by praying in his name, by releasing faith in his name. We bring the soundness, the completeness, and the wholeness of God into that situation. Hallelujah. Are you grateful today that you're called by the name of Jesus? You've been named with that name.